Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is a, a special preview spotlight on Shadecraft. Uh, it's an image comic that is coming out on March 31st. Uh, the final order cutoff is in a week on March 8th. So we want to uh, let you know what it's all about and give you a chance to let your retailer know, hey, I want this comic. Uh, and maybe the most exciting part about it this is the same exact creative team that brought us the amazing Skyward, Eisner-nominated, wonderful series. Uh, and through that series, we've uh, established a great friendship with Joe Henderson, the creator. You may know him as the showrunner from Lucifer and uh, a lot of the other great creative things he's done. He, he joined us for uh, 12 Days of the Comic Source. Uh, so it's great to have him back. Joe Henderson, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, as always. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm. You know, we were just chatting a little bit before we got started recording. You're excited. I'm excited. Uh, I'm sure it's been. You know, this is your sophomore effort uh, of, yep. a, of a series that you've created. I'm sure you can't wait to get it in front of uh, fans of Skyward and and just comic fans uh, in general. So, uh, been a long time coming. Like, how long have you been working on Shadecraft? I mean, I've been working on it ever since we finished Skyward. And honestly, part of the challenge was I was so happy with Skyward. I loved working on it. And to your point, the whole sophomore effort, it's like, how do I make sure that my next book, that our next book, uh, Lee and I's, lives up to that? And so I put so much pressure on myself because I was like, I, I, I don't want the second book to feel like a letdown to me, to the fans, to anybody, to Lee. Um, and so I spent way too much time on it. And then, by the way, I sent the script to Lee when I finally got it, when I finally, honestly, it's when I finally uh, uh, figured out what the heart of the story is, what the heart of Zadie Lou's journey is, which we'll get, uh, which we'll talk about in a bit. But I finally sent the script to Lee and then it took him forever to do the first issue. And then we talked about it. And finally, he's like, I just feel this pressure. I feel this incredible pressure. I'm like, oh, Lee, we're, we're in the same boat. Like both of us just, we loved Skyward so much and we wanted Shadecraft to have that exact same level of, 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 of craft and passion and love. And um, uh, I, hopefully people uh, find that this uh, lives up to that because we really just, we wanted this thing to sing. Yeah, and, I, and so we're going to start to get into to some of the nitty gritty, everybody. And, and just so you, you, you understand what's going to happen here, uh, we're going to talk about the, uh, the issue in general. Um, so you, you know, know whether you want to let your, your retailer know that you want to order it before the final quarter, order cutoff. There is going to be a section of the show where we get a little more spoilery that will be released at a later date. So I won't include that in the initial release. So if you're, you're listening to this when it first com comes out, on, uh, on March 1st, there, there won't be anything spoilery. If you're listening to the version that comes out later uh, on April 2nd, there will be uh, more details. So just so we're all on the same page. Um, and before we kind of dive in into to Shadecraft, we, we do want to remind everybody about how great um, Skyward was. So uh, if anybody is listening for the first time, they're not familiar with Joe's previous work, do you want to just give us a quick um, yeah. recap of, of what Skyward was uh, and and how it was received and just how the whole Skyward experience, now that you've had a little perspective uh, about it. I mean, because you know me, man, I, I just, I love that series and, and it's, uh, it, it feels like a complete story, but it also feels like something you could go back to in the future. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, so Skyward was the first book that Lee and I did. It, uh, it takes place. Well, it's basically what if tomorrow um, the world's gravity became a fraction of what it is. Um, and so, yeah, guess what? Good news. You can fly through the air. Bad news is if you jump too high, you don't come back down again. And so our story takes place 20 years after uh, what is called G-Day. Uh, and it follows uh, a young woman named Willa, who is basically a fearless woman who loves this world. It's, it's, uh, it's the only world she's ever known, but she loves it because she can fly. And it's a story of her and her father. Her father is terrified of this world uh, and is terrified of the the deadly sky and it's really a story about the two of them sort of meeting in the middle on both being fearless and having fear and but in particular it's a story of willa herself facing her fears and coming out stronger through the other side so it's 15 issues the hardcover collecting all 15 issues actually comes out i believe the week before shadecraft so oh, nice. we also tried to time it so that hey uh, if you check out Shadecraft and you're like, oh, I wonder what else they've done. You've got this beautiful hardcover with uh, a all new six page uh, story at the very end, an epilogue, which was also fun because like you said, like it's, it's a story I do want to return to. And I, we took the opportunity 
to do a short story to sort of revisit it. And there was, there was nothing better than being able to like get back into Willa's voice and play with the world and find new things to explore. Um, and then, and also just to get new pages in from Lee of that world. So that, that hardcover comes out in March. It is beautiful. Um, but yeah, it's just, honestly, it's, it was great. Like we, we got, like you said, I had nominated for an Eisner, which was insane and amazing to me and just absolutely wonderful. And it, it was this book that, I wasn't sure if anyone would really dig because it's a it's it's fun. Like it's not like this big crazy um, uh, prestige book. It is a book that is fun and also scary and heartfelt and terrifying and funny. I hope and uh, and so I just wasn't sure what the market for that kind of book would be because those are the books that I personally love. But luckily, I also think to a certain extent there aren't as many indie books that hit that spot. I think you're actually you were seeing more and more lately like. Um, Kyle Higgins just launched Radiant Black, mm-hmm. which is very much of a, the same tone. His is obviously more superhero, but like he's playing in that uh, spot as well that I feel like Mar- Marvel and DC sort of held control over and indie books were more like, okay, we'll do prestige, we'll do R-rated. And I feel like every passing year you see more and more people going, well, why don't we, fun books can sell. And I know like Mark Wade used to always talk about how his books wouldn't sell because they were fun. And I feel like the industry has caught up to that a bit and that fun books actually do sell and that people really gravitate towards them. And so that's been exciting. Well, the, the other thing about it, and, uh, and and I'm hoping this is the case with, with Shadecraft, uh, what was cool, and, and we already see it with Radiant Black, but the other thing that was cool about what you guys did with Skyward, it wasn't just that you created a book, but you created a community around that book. Um, you really had a you know, a bunch of fans coming together and, and loving this same thing. And obviously you, you have, um, you know, a following from, from your work in television with Lucifer and, and that sort of thing. So I'm, what I'm really hoping is we get a lot of people that love Skyward that come over and check out Shadecraft. And now we build a community uh, around Shadecraft. So uh, as I mentioned, the final order cutoff is in, in a week, it's March 8th. So you need to let your retailer know before March 8th, Hey, I want this book. So you're guaranteed to have it. Um, because just like Skyward, it's likely the first issue is going to sell out and you want to be sure you, you get one, uh, in your hand. So, uh, Joe, let's, let's talk about, uh, Shadecraft. Why don't you let everybody know what, yeah. what is this story about? So Shadecraft follows Zadie Lou, who is a typical 16 year old, except for the fact that she is afraid of her own shadow. Uh, and as a 16 year old, you should probably have grown out of that by now, Except she might be right to be afraid. In fact, the shadows around her seem to be coming to life. They seem to want to kill her. And so this is a story of Zadie Lou facing the shadows both within and without. And, uh, and it's just, it's a story that's very personal to me. Uh, I channeled a lot of my sort of uh, 16-year-old angst and agita into her, for better or worse. Sorry, Zadie. Uh, and, uh, and it's, it's, Basically, the tone of Skyward, which is sort of uh, grounded fun mixed with horror, because that was the thing is what we wanted to do is after Skyward, we want to do something a little different, something a little uh, exciting so that it's very much of our tone, but also something new. And horror felt like a really cool thing to play with. And so it's it's not a horror comic, per se. I've been calling it Forer, which is fun horror. Like, it should be a little scary, and a little intense and a little creepy, but also it should be mixed with a healthy dose of wish fulfillment and fun. Uh, it's, I mean, like, honestly, it's a lot like those Amblin movies from the eighties and things like that. Like, you know, it's, it's the, the Goonies and the stranger things, things where it's, yes, it's scary. It's fun, but it's also exciting. Um, yeah. So there's a level of, of suspense. There's a level of it being a, a little scary. Um, and, you know, certainly in Skyward, there was plenty of things that, um, that were, you know, scary in terms of, I, I fear this, I fear floating away into space and, and Willa had, fears and we all carry around fears um, doesn't mean our lives are all horror stories. So it's, it's bringing in the idea of, of being scared uh, as this way to, you know, move the story forward, but also give the characters something to, to overcome, to, to, to challenge them so they can evolve. Right. Yeah. And it's funny because the, there is a clean through line between Skyward and Shadecraft when it comes to explorations of fear. I think it's just because it's something that I find very relevant. It's something that I've encountered a lot I mean, it's something we're dealing with mass culturally yeah. in so many ways. And then just for me, like so much of my life and career has been the struggle of choosing strength over fear, choosing to make decisions that are bold but um, and, and are scary, 
but are the right choices because the the fear-based decisions are the ones that um, feel safer, but usually the fear is, is, is pointing me in the wrong direction. Right. Um, whereas choosing out of strength means that all right, I'm betting on myself. I'm, I'm betting on the future. I'm betting on positivity. Um, so that's something that I really try to infuse into my work or I can't help but infuse into my work. Right, right. Uh, well, let's run down um, a list of the characters that we that we meet in yes. um, in the first issue. So obviously Zadie Lou, uh, you know, the, the main character, the, the, she has that inherent fear of, of her own shadows. She's, you know, she's in high school. Uh, I think that's a great metaphor for, fear. you know, in high school, we all don't, you fear the future and, and that sort of thing. So what can you tell us about Zadie? And, and I also want you to touch on choosing to once again, go with kind of a younger female protagonist. Yeah. Um, so Zadie is, like you said, it's high school. High school is that formative period. It's the transitionary period. It's where you're both fearless and also afraid of everything because you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and mix that in with high school where you're afraid of making the wrong misstep of doing the wrong thing. And so you've got this just wonderful cocktail for the metaphor that is, is, is shadows and it is the sort of the unknown or what could be hiding behind something. Um, and then when it comes to Zadie herself uh, as a Chinese American woman, like one of the things that I, I was really touched by with doing Skyward was how many people responded to Willa and how many people saw themselves in Willa. And listen, I'm a white dude. There are a thousand characters on those shelves that look like me. Like I grew up being like, Oh, I could be Peter Parker or Steve Rogers or just about any of them. And so part of it to me is I feel like it's my responsibility to create as many characters as possible that as many potential readers as possible can see themselves in and hopefully also create a character that anyone can see themselves in. Like to me, that's always the, the, the fun trick is I think my hope is that um, anyone can pick this up and relate to Zadie Lou, but also if there is, you know, um, anyone who is, you know, like a, a, an Asian kid who wants to read a book that actually reflects her or his, life like hey here's here's a kid going through what i'm going through um i think i think that's important i think it's a responsibility it's it's something that has become very important to me after working in tv where casting is so important where we hear from so many people that are like oh because like when we cast a black god when we got dennis haysbert to play god on lucifer that meant a lot to a lot of people and i knew it would be important but it was actually really touching to find out how much people were like that's that's meaningful to me like that's something that like that's that's a a little piece of culture that just helps sort of normalize um, uh, not it always just being like a white dude in a beard and shit like that yeah uh, uh, so that's that's just something that's always at the forefront of my head and it's something that I always want to try to do because also if these things ever get adapted that means you're casting a young uh, Chinese American girl and that's great too like that's the thing it's like building. IP is the dirty word, but building uh, books that if they ever get adapted, you are going to uh, create more opportunities for actors and actresses um, who aren't just uh, white dudes uh, is just, that's, that's really important to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other aspect of it is just, Hey, can we just have books that look a, a little more realistic in terms of when I go to the store, I don't just see white dudes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, for years, it's supposedly Marvel's the world outside your window. But is it really? Because I don't, you know, we don't see enough representation, you know, and I know that people worry that it's tokenism sometimes. But, man, I just want to read good stories that that do make me think and do reflect reality. I think that's yeah. important. And honestly, like I, one of the best examples, I remember when uh, Kamala Khan got uh, introduced way back when I remember reading that first issue and being like, wow. This, like what what I thought uh, uh, they did so well is they they introduced a character who um, felt so relatable and yet so different from anyone on the shelves to the point where I was like oh I, it, it's it's a shame this is the only one mm-hmm. it's a shame that this isn't happening more often but like it also just it was so exciting to me I was like oh this is a new Peter Parker story this is the best new Peter Parker story. I've experienced and I don't know how long and it just like you, you look at those those moments, those opportunities to reflect, to have the shelf reflect the world. And yeah, I just, I think it's important and, and it's exciting. It's fun. It's yeah. I, I, and I honestly, I just also love Zadie 
Lou. She's like she's uh, like my little sister that I uh, I'm so protective of and love so much. Yeah, <laughs> you, she definitely. There's something about her. You you managed to capture something with her in the in the first issue that you. She's very likable, you know, just come, it comes across. Uh, we also meet a couple of her high school uh, classmates, Josh, who she seems to have a, a little crush on. There's something going on there. Uh, and also Kate, who's kind of like her, her uh, BFF. So we did see uh, one of the things she did in Skyward really well was we had a great uh, supporting cast. So should we expect to see uh, more of, of Josh and Kate? Is there anything, I mean, we don't want to spoil, obviously, but is there anything you want uh, listeners to know about those two? Yeah, I embracing the the high school setting. The one thing I wanted to set up right away is those those fun dynamics that um, you get to play with, which is you got the boy who uh, has been her friend for a long time, to who likes who, who's got a crush on who, who's going to stick their foot in the mouth at the wrong moment. Like, listen, I I love me a good love triangle. I love me a good oh, if I'd said the right thing at the right time. Yeah. Like, one like one of the things I loved about Buffy was yes, they're doing all of these, uh, they're killing vampires, doing anything else, but also who loves who, you know, like so many shows, like that's what I love. That's what I love in comics. Like I love um, the, those struggles, and Zadie and Josh, a big part of their story going forward, will be the will they won't they, especially with um, uh, Zadie maybe looking a little crazy every passing day as she starts to realize a truth that is really hard to explain to other people. And Kate is very much just that, that friend. She's, she's our, she's that friend that is like always next to you, always with you, but even she has a breaking point. And so it's always important to just get that sense of how isolated she is, especially if you're doing a story about shadows where isolation is the most terrifying thing of all, because that's where the shadows come. Uh, another character that we're introducing again, we 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 don't want to spoil, but uh, Zadie's brother Ricky, who's uh, been in this terrible accident, um, and so we may not necessarily see him in the way that we see a lot of other characters. Maybe he's not up and walking around, but it seems like he's going to be um, a big part of the story. And you're gonna, uh, you and the rest of the creative team, you're gonna explore that that relationship. We're gonna kind of understand the the relationship between Zadie and Ricky. Is that right? Yeah, so the relationship between Zadie and Ricky is the centerpiece of the book. Um, and a big part of it is figuring out what exactly that means, how that'll move forward. And after people read issue one, they'll very much understand what I mean by that. But I grew up as a middle kid in the shadow of two siblings who were just, I'll just be honest, cooler than me. <laughs> uh, and that was a big thing I wanted to explore was that that metaphor of living in the uh, shadow of a sibling who is just better than you in every way. And that's Ricky. Ricky's the all-star. He's like, if you get, if you uh, throw him into a sport, he'll be the best at it. If you throw him a, an essay, he'll write the best one. Like he is the perfect, perfect kid, the perfect brother. And there is no one worse than to have to be related to than that. And so the, the way I sort of think about it is he is the bright shining star and Zadie has no choice, but to live in his shadow. Um, but also at the same time, something happens with Ricky that we'll realize has really thrown all the dynamics out of whack. And so that becomes a big part of the story. And then obviously they're, uh, Zadie and Ricky's parents, um, you know, Ricky having gone through this, you know, this terrible accident, uh, and, and, you know, the trauma that brings to the, to the whole family, um, and especially to lose somebody, like you said, that was this bright star. I mean, that's just so traumatic. So uh, are they going to be a a big part of the story uh, as well or are they going to be a little more in the background uh, how are they going to fit in they'll be a big part of it in as much as this is a family story more than anything else almost everything i write is a family story and so much of zadie and ricky's issues are actually the, the issues of the family itself what it's like to have an older brother who's so amazing uh what it's like for your parents to maybe choose one prefer one over the other i've got two kids and you know there's always just a sense of i love you both equally but there are days (laughs) there are days where i definitely love one more than the other and i know a lot of people who've grown up very much feeling like they were always loved more than another um and i mean i've always i was that kid trying to get my mom's attention but my cooler brother was also out drinking and doing stuff and so he got all of the attention. So, it, you know, I was always like just trying to trying to get noticed. And so a, a huge part of it is really exploring just that idea for Zadie, what they represent, how she wants to be the child that they want to uh, to see. How can she shine her own light 
um, uh, past Ricky towards her parents. Yeah, and I, I do want to talk about that that family family dynamic in terms of you know we've already talked about Zadie being um, uh, of Chinese descent and and you know how that might play in with you know culture and, and things like that. But uh, before we get to that specifically, um, you know you mentioned wanting to kind of put something on the shelf that's more representative, uh, not enough you know great female protagonist. But we go even beyond that. And, and unfortunately, it's gender still a thing, right? And so we're talking about somebody who's, you know, supposedly seeing shadows come to life and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I can't help but but think one of the things that didn't stick me, I didn't notice it until I think the second or third time I read it. Um, and it goes, and, and this this is a legitimate thing when you, you start talking about uh, women, females that go to a doctor and they say, hey, I have this happening or that happening they are so much less likely to be believed than a male. That is still a thing. And that just drives me crazy. So is that something you're going to explore it all the way? You know, uh, oh, she's a girl. They're more likely to be afraid of things like, um, and did that play in at all to you choosing to, to go with a female protagonist? It's, it's fascinating because I've been talking about this with some friends um, because I always try to get peer reads. I always try to get, um, other other input and there's two things one is exactly that it's like women are just less believed uh and two there's also this very simple idea with shadows which is if i if, if it's midnight and i'm out on a walk and i see a crazy shadow i'm like well that's probably a crazy shadow um if a woman's out walking at night by herself she's probably got her keys in her hand and has turned them into like a wolverine mm-hmm. claw because we we operate at a different set of rules and one of the things that I think is interesting about this is, you know, when women jump at shadows, so to speak, uh, it's justified because they have to deal with a lot more shit than we have to deal with. Um, and so that feeds into it as well. This sort of sense that like that uh, there is a different set of rules for men and women. And as much as we're trying to create that equality, it's just the simple fact of the matter is uh, it's harder uh, for them. And telling a story like this, as subtext, um, I, I found it incredibly rich and I found people really respond to that because um, they're like, yeah, that's, it's, it's harder for us and it's scary, scarier for us. And people are like, oh, well, you know, it, it grow up. And it's like, no, we, this, is, this is how we survive. So it's, it sounds like uh, as you started creating this, that choosing to go with a female protagonist and, and shadows, it, it's almost like lightning in a bottle. You weren't even necessarily aware of some of the, the subtext. Is that accurate? Yeah, it was, it was, I always wanted to tell a story with a female protagonist dealing with shadows. And then as I dug into it, I was like, Oh, this is, it's so funny. You make a decision and then you start embracing it and you start realizing that like, Oh yes, yes. Even more yet. Like you, you sort of start to roll downhill. And it was something that like, I just, I really liked writing Willa. I think there should be more female protagonists on the shelf, especially uh, diverse female protagonists. So like that was all like sort of slotted in for me. But as I kept adding to it, I kept realizing, oh, I can lean into this. I can speak to this. I can, I can embrace this. And, and, and yeah, so it's so much of writing is, is lucky coincidences, but also then leaning towards those lucky coincidences. Yeah. As it starts to make more sense to you, like, oh yes, this is exactly why it should be this way. Yeah. Uh, well, we mentioned uh, this earlier. I want to kind of dig into a little more uh, shadows as a, a metaphor for an uncertain future. And certainly the at the age that that uh, Zadie is, you know, start thinking about what am I going to do with my life? What do I want to do as a career? Where am I going to go to college? Uh, am I going to move away? Am I going to still live at home? All that uh, sort of thing. Um, do you think that that is uh, something that is universal, like everybody, even, even if you're not going to college? I mean, because I, I do, I think that at that age, there's just your body's undergoing changes. You're, you know, you're starting to have emotions and, and, and is this really love? Is it not? And crushes. And I mean, it is just such a volatile time. The unknown yeah. is, is huge. It can be overwhelming. Um, just it's like the, shadows in the dark. What, what can you not see? It is the most, it is one of the most fearful times of your life. It's the time where you don't know what on earth is going to happen to you. Every decision is, oh, is this going to be my life? Is this going to, like, I still remember, like, uh, the first girl I loved, I was like, and we broke up. I'm like, this is it. This is the end. The world is ending. Like, you you feel that. And you're, 
everyone can tell you you're being absurd. There's plenty of other uh, uh, people you'll meet. But the truth is, in that moment, you feel like every decision will change your life. And the irony is, sometimes it's very, very true. But it is. It's all fear, right? It's all like, I'm afraid of the future. I'm excited about the future. But also, there's so much pressure on it that I'm afraid of it. I am terrified of it, of this unknown of what it could possibly be. And so, yeah, that's a huge part of what I'm playing with. Well, it's interesting that you say, and and obviously it happens with perspective. You know, you get to be our age and you look back and you realize, yeah, some of those decisions you made as a a kid in high school, they really did affect you for the rest of your life. And you probably weren't really aware or probably really informed or knowledgeable enough or wise enough to make the right choice, but that's just life. And everybody's kind of in the same boat. Um, But kind of what I'm getting at here is, there are things that we should be afraid of, right? There, and, you know, when you uh, apply that to this story, are there things in the shadows that, that you know, Zadie's not crazy. She, these are things she should be afraid of, right? Yeah, that is, that is the biggest part of the, the metaphor uh, to your point, which is sometimes the shadows are scary. Sometimes there is something in them. Sometimes when you're walking down the street and you hear something behind you, you should be a little more wary. Sometimes when you see a movement, that movement means something. And so, and, you know, like we're, we all relate with a level of paranoia and fear. And what if what if the shadows are real? What if what lurks in the darkness is something to be afraid of? And like you said, like half the time, sometimes it's true. Sometimes you're like, oh, the world's going to end if I don't do this. But you know what? There are consequences. There are sometimes huge consequences. And so whenever you can take the metaphor and make it real life, that's when I feel like you're cooking with gas. And that's what's been so fun with the shadows is finding all those different ways to have them reflect um, uh, the insecurities of the future and the insecurities of a moment. Now, when we start talking about these shadows, you know, we, we mentioned uh, Zadie and her family being of Chinese descent. Uh, is there going to be any ties to, to Asian culture? I mean, I, I am, I'm completely unfamiliar of if there's any kind of a culture or mythology around shadows um, and, and any Eastern culture. Uh, so is that something you research? Is it going to be part of the story at all? There, there's some, I, I uh, made a conscious choice not to tie it in to that. I wanted, what I wanted this to be is a story of a girl dealing with shadow monsters who ha- happens to be Chinese American. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, cause to me, it was like, I wanted that sort of, that the Peter Parker-esque thing. It's like someone got bit, bit by a spider. Spiders aren't, the, the, this particular, you know, radioactive spider isn't specific to any culture or world. Right. It just happened to be a white kid. And so like, to me, as also a white guy writing this, I didn't want to go too specifically into a culture. Um, having said that, I also have a lot of uh, friends, uh, Chinese American friends who I've had read this and make sure that I'm not unintentionally stepping into anything or screwing up or speaking to issues that, that, that are unique to that culture or to growing up. I mean, I started w- working on this last year when um, Trump was doing the whole Wuhan flu bullshit and all of that. And I had a lot of friends get very scared about where they were in in the world and to me it was like all the more reason to just normalize a book that happens to have uh, a lead character who is asian american who you know just is a normal kid like because that's we're that as much as we can just normalize all of that it's very very important to me um and then but yeah so to me it is it's more just this is a girl this is happening to her um why what's going on and uh, delving into that great yeah and, and I, I applaud you for for doing that i mean i think it's so uh important um and i know a lot of people you know there's that whole saying it's easier to ask forgiveness than to ask for permission but i don't always sub- subscribe to that i mean if you can prevent yourself from making a mistake or inadvertently offending somebody why would you not want to do that you know you might not take advantage and again, it's fear versus, versus strength. Uh, you're afraid. You're afraid of someone telling you you shouldn't do something. And so I was like, I need to get this in front of people. I need to both believe in it, but also be willing to change things so that uh, I can learn. Like on Skyward, uh, I had a couple of people reach out to me on Twitter about the idea of a, uh, a white man punching a black woman in the face. Uh, it's an issue three of Skyward. And it's something that I'd never really thought about because the way I was approaching it, I was approaching it very simply, which is, She's a regular hero who happens to be a black woman. Um, and they were like, sure, but what you're not acknowledging is that there's there's a lot of pain in in that visual. And right. I only had a couple of people mention it, but it was enough that I was like, I should have gotten more eyes on this mm-hmm. because there was a different way to execute that that could have still hit it. 
um, that also wouldn't have triggered some people in a way that was a little painful to them. And I understand that. And that was really, I didn't have a ton of people read Skyward um, for that, with that in mind. And so with this, that was one of the lessons I really tried to take away, which is I want to make sure that uh, I'm respecting uh, things that I don't know. Um, yeah, and surrounding exactly. myself with people who can protect me and also protect the readers and make sure that the reading experience is as positive as possible. Yeah, well, and you want to have the best product possible. Exactly. Yeah, well, the best it's, product. it's entirely selfish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's talk a little bit about um, getting the creative team back together. We know Lee Garbit uh, is, is doing the art, so that's great. Yeah. Uh, but you've also got uh, uh, Antonio Fabella back on colors and, and Simon Bullen back on letters. So um, was it just a matter of when this was ready? You just called everybody up and said, hey, you guys want to do it again? And everybody was uh, ready to jump back on board. Yeah, when we wrapped up Skyward, it was really nice because uh, Simon and Antonio were both like, when's the next book? Um, and I was like, great. All right, we're tell you what, um, next book, you'll be our first calls. And if you guys are available, it's the easiest thing ever. And it's just, it's nice. You've got a team that knows what they're doing. I mean, letterers are the unsung heroes of comics. Like Simon knows how to create a rhythm, to create a pacing. He's just wonderful at what he does. And Antonio, I think, as you'll see in the first issue, we really pushed him to do something a little different. And because Antonio is amazing. If you look at his Skyward work, it's so bright and vibrant. Mm -hmm. But we really pushed him to like play with the shadows in a way he hadn't before. Uh, in the same way that I pushed Lee artistically to do all this crazy stuff. In the same way that Lee pushes me every issue to try to come up with something even better to match his pages. Like to me, that's the collaboration. Everyone's sort of challenging each other, but I think Antonio's work in particular is just, I think something that no one's really seen from him yet, but I think they'll see more and more because it's just, I think it's, it's almost painterly. It's very, very beautiful stuff. Yeah. I was going to mention Antonio's work because when you start talking about shadow uh, and the way the shadows are depicted in the first issue, like you mentioned, um, that's so much more, dependent on on the color work you know yeah. uh, lee's line work is is great but when we start talking about a very important aspect of the story uh antonio's doing more heavy lifting than he was you know and, and he did a great job yes. on on skyward i mean like you said it's so bright and the world comes to life um but you're asking more of antonio and he's rising to the challenge yes yeah 100 percent. and that's the fun of it the fun of it is finding the collaborators who want to be pushed who want to go hey i've already done this let me show you what else I can do. Let me show the audience or future uh, future companies who might want to hire me what I am capable of. And for uh, for fans of Skyward, you know that community that you built that that loved it. Uh, if they were to come to you and say, "Okay, uh, why should I pick up Shadecraft? Like, what similarities am I am I going to see? What are some of the things I loved about Skyward that you think that uh, also are here in uh, in Shadecraft?" That's a great question. I mean, what I would tell them is this is this is a uh, a spiritual sequel, if you will. It's the same sense of, uh, of a hero going against impossible odds and also trying to figure out her own place in the world. Um, Zadie is, I think, uh, is a character very similar to Willa, but also very different. I think Willa started off with this brimming confidence, whereas Zadie is starting much more a level of insecurity. But they both have that, that will deep inside to persevere and fight. And also they also have a, a, I like to think a pretty nice sense of humor uh, in the face of terrible odds, but very much I wanted Zadie to resonate with anyone who loved Skyward and loved Willa in particular. Uh, and the story to be of a very similar tone with just a little extra horror um, laced through it. So other than adding in some some scary elements, a little bit of that horror feel, uh, is there any other way that you're you're trying to challenge yourself differently uh, with this series, to, you know, to make sure, because I know you you love to constantly make sure you're improving and challenge yourself as a writer, writer continuing to evolve. Is there anything you can point to uh, in this uh, title where you're like, yes, this is specifically where I think I can can grow and evolve as a creative? That's great. Uh, well, one of, one of them is... Uh... One of the criticisms of Skyward early on was that it was a little decompressed. I like that because it's a big world. It's vast vistas. But even as I was writing it, I was slowly adapting and trying to sort of um, put more in there. You know, it's a lot of it's bang for buck. You know, comics are expensive. How do you make sure you earn it? One of the ways I always did it is made sure that my issues were always longer than 22 pages. Sometimes they were 28, sometimes they were 25 until the towards the end. Like I was really trying to just get as much in as possible. Uh, in Shadecraft, I've tried to really take that to heart 
What's also nice is shadows are claustrophobic. Shadows are scary. By, by condensing things, you actually can end up getting more. But what I really wanted to make sure is that, okay, I, listen, I, I, I do read the comments. I'm that guy who reads the comments, but I'm also the guy going, you know, fair point, fair point. That's insane. Well, that's actually a good point. Uh, and so I'll take it. And if someone says like, hey, you know, the decompression, I get done with a book in two minutes. I'm like, okay, that's fair. I mean, hopefully you're taking a little bit more time looking at the gorgeous art, but I'm going to try to split the difference and make sure that uh, there's a little bit more meat on that bone. Um, and so that's something that I really try to do with Shadecraft without slowing down the read because the challenge is you also want to le- leave room for Lee's beautiful art. You want to leave room for the storytelling. You don't want to put too much in there that's just in there to feel like more. You got to earn it. And so a lot of it was me just digging in and going, okay, how do I, how do I find even more story? How do, I, how do I enrich the reading experience even more? Do you feel like ha- having examined it, uh, is, is one story more, either Skyward or, or Shadecraft, is one inherently more dense? Is there more story to tell in one particular word? Or do you think they're pretty much uh, about the same? You know, it's funny because, oh, that's great. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think Shadecraft, the first issue I was going to say is more dense, but dear Lord, we get a lot done in the first issue of Skyward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it too is it's, it's executing different concepts, right? Like in Skyward, you have to sell the idea of the world turning upside down. And so, so much of that is seeing it. So much of that is the visual. Whereas the Shadecraft, what you're trying to convey really quickly is a whole lot of... Uh, of Zadie in particular, like Willa is the heroine of, 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 of Skyward, but she's almost in a world and in the beginning reacting to it. And then her story really starts to take off Shadecraft, The story is Zadie. And so I think that's, uh, that's the difference between the two, but I actually have no idea if I even answered that question. So no, no, I, I think you're, you're, you answered it a hundred percent. And as you're saying that, what I'm realizing is, in a way, the, the story uh, in Shadecraft, the way the story starts in Shadecraft is more intimate. Whereas yes. uh, in Skyward, just like you said, it, it starts with this big open world. And then we kind of eventually zero in on who Willa is and her relationships. And it becomes more intimate. Whereas this one starts out, you know, kind of focused on, on Zadie and it's intimate. It has that feel uh, right from the start. So, yeah. Well, I, I mean, perfect example. Skyward starts with Willa's dad. Shadecraft starts with Zadie. And a big part of it is, though, what we're doing is what are the main relationships? And the main relationship in Skyward, at least in the beginning, is is Willa and her dad. And so it's okay to start with him, get to her, and then make it her story because we're getting to know her as we go. With Shadecraft, it's Zadie and Ricky. We're meeting our main character. And then later on, we're introducing um, the sibling. But the truth of it is, he's there the whole time in his own way because the shadow of him is always cast over Zadie. Yeah, I had a lot of shadow metaphors. I'm going to like do it all the time. It's terrible. Yeah, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. So, <laughs> uh, reminder everybody: uh, final order cutoff is in one week. So be sure you let your retailers know. Please. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm check it out. It's it, it's amazing. So uh, that's going to do it for the portion that's the the kind of the preview. Um, and so we'll come back in a little bit and uh, let you know where you can follow Joe online and, and do all that kind of stuff. But. Uh, if you're listening to the second uh, version of this, <clears throat> now we're going to get into some of the nitty gritty. Hopefully you picked it up this past Wednesday, you've read it, and now you you have questions just like I do. Uh, and, and obviously we're not going to spoil too much for the future, but we do want to kind of examine some of the things that happened in uh, issue one. So we already talked um, a little bit previously about Ricky and Zadie's uh, relationship, but let's dig in a little more, Joe. Um, you know, there's a line in the first issue where where Zadie's like, I, you know, I hate you. And it's, it's from growing up in that place of being in Ricky's shadow constantly. Uh, and then when Ricky shows up later as a shadow himself, that's how he lets Zadie know who he is. And all of a sudden you realize I hate you really means I love you. So yeah. talk a little bit about their relationship and that dynamic. Yeah. It, it's funny. Cause I was trying to find that sort of siblings. I've only recently started saying, I love you to my brothers. Like, and you always find different ways to say it, but for, you know, for a long period of time, you just don't know how to say it. People don't know how to express love languages very well. I'm still bad at it uh, in many ways. And so especially for 16-year-olds, like, there's always that way to sort of deflect how you truly feel. And so, and Zadie does hate her brother and love him because that's how brotherly relationships are. She resents him, even though she knows it's not his fault, even though, because even outside of that, he never really acknowledged her. He was 
Like so much of the book, as you see now in the first issue is Zadie uh, used to be living in her brother's shadow. Now her brother, maybe in hers, uh, perhaps literally. And so that is really the heart of the book moving forward is that role reversal, that dynamic between brother and sister and that idea of, okay, I love you and I hate you. That's just, that's called siblings. How do I reconcile those? How do we deal with those? How is Ricky going to deal with being the bright, shiny star uh, for so long and now relegated to being, to a certain extent, someone else's shadow? Yeah, so he's been in this uh, terrible accident. When we meet him in the first issue, he's actually in a, in a coma. Um, we, you know, we don't know the exact details of, of the accident. Um, will we find out what they are? And is it even important as a story or it just matters that it, it happened and now the roles have kind of been reversed? We will speak to it in issue two. We'll, we'll, we'll see it and we'll understand it. And it, it is still part of the mystery because so much of the mystery is what happened, what is happening to our characters, what are these shadows, how does Ricky tie into it? And to me, the fun of it is creating this puzzle box that we can slowly unpeel over the next uh, couple issues and it is something that will be answered in the first five issues. Like it's very important to me to introduce the puzzle and answer what everything, what everything means. Um, but that is a part of the, the puzzle. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're going to learn more about it because I, I think it is integral to the story. Um, even from what we've seen in, in issue one with the, the way um, we see Ricky and Zadie's mom, like her, her behavior, what are you doing in his room? Like, you know, she's clearly wants to protect not only Zadie, you know, the scene early on where the shadows are happening outside the house. And like, you know, after what happened to Ricky, I couldn't bear anything happen to you. But then later, how, just how overprotective, even to the point of being illogical. And you want to talk about a shadow metaphor. It's so clear that this accident that Ricky's been in, it's trauma for the whole family. It's casting a shadow over the whole family. Um, and I can speak from personal experience, having gone through something similar to Ricky, that that is a thing. Um, and those shadows in a way never go away. The scars of something traumatic like that can, you can live with them for the, for the rest of your life. So uh, was that something you were, you were conscious of that, Hey, this is something that's going to, um, you know, be cast over the whole family. I know you like to tell family stories. Yeah, honestly, that was the biggest part is I wanted to, what is the shadow that looms over this family? How do you, how do you step out of a shadow that hard? And in particular, I wanted to play with um, Ricky being in a coma because it is its own shadow. It is its own, like, he's there, but he's not there. Um, and that, that sense of hope and fear and worry uh, and just, and also I wanted to explore the reality of, of, of being comatose because you know, you see a year coma and my first instinct is go, oh God, please no. But the truth of it is people do fall into comas and people have to take care of them. People have to take care of these bodies. And it, it is, there's something very intimate about that and very tragic about that. And the hope that is put in uh, to people waiting for them to wake up, hoping they will uh, wake up. And so there was just, there was just so much raw emotion in there. And I felt like, especially if you take something that's kind of a cliche in comics and TV, and turn it into an opportunity to open up new story and also really embrace the metaphor of the shadow. Like this body without a soul to a certain extent or seemingly is a shadow of itself. Um, and that concept uh, just, just really resonated with me. And it, it, it just, it speaks to my own fears of what things happening to my children or my family in a way that just like makes my chest tighten even as I talk about it. So, yeah. It, and again, so, yeah, something we can all relate to, especially those of us that do have children. I mean, you always have that fear of something happened to yourself. Trust me, as a father, it's nothing compared to the level of fear when, yeah, you start thinking about something happened to one of your kids and, and yeah. how you, you know, might sacrifice. And in a way that speaks to the fear that Zadie's mom is exhibiting, right? Like yep. it is sort of her worst fear coming, coming to life. And she's going to be, she's going to do everything she can to protect what, what she has left of Ricky even to the point of making it illogical. And if it is, she doesn't care. And, and that's a big part of it too, is I wanted uh, Melinda, uh, Zadie's mom, to feel both irrational and justified because she is both. She is both way overreacting, but wouldn't you too? Yeah. And that was really important to me because it is, it's like, she's the one who has to take care. She, she's chosen to take care of him mm -hmm. because if she takes care of him, maybe he can come back. But that burden that she's taken on herself is also fraying at her. 
And so being able to speak to just very human struggles to me, that's when you got a big, crazy idea, uh, what you want to do is find that heart that grounds it. Like with Skyward, it was Willa and Nate. And even though the world had turned upside down, what it was was a, a, a father who is afraid of losing his daughter and a daughter who doesn't understand her father's fear. We all know that. We all relate with that. Similar in this, there's shadows coming to life. There's all this stuff, but really it's a family. Something bad happened to them and it has completely splintered them in a way where the family is a shadow of itself. I'm going to keep, I, I'm sorry for all my shadow metaphors. <laughs> no, it makes perfect, <laughs> makes perfect sense. Uh, when we start talking about that, that shadow world, um, is that part of the mystery? Um, is it something that will be revealed? I mean, is there even actually a shadow world or is it something that's going to stay sort of esoteric? We will explain what is happening with the shadows and why they are attacking Zadie over the course of the first arc. So it is very much, that is the mystery of the first arc. Um, I firmly believe like, especially with like with Skyward again, like I set up uh, a, a tease and then I answered it uh, over the first 15 issues in particular on this one, I wanted to do it in the first five, tell a more condensed story and really just get to that and, and, and know all of the pieces of the puzzle. Um, so that will be answered. Uh, why is Zadie seemingly special or why is she the target of these things? Why is Ricky in her shadow? What's going on? All of that will, will be unpeeling. And uh, if you, you and the rest of the creative team get to, to tell the full story, um, you know, as far out as you, you'd like. Do you have an, an idea of how many issues it would go if you, if you had your way? So right now we have the first five issues completely written and done, uh, completely written and, and Lee is working on the art. And then, so I, I created a five issue arc that is a beginning, middle and end. But yes, I already know what the second arc uh, could be at least. And so part of it is just waiting on how sales go. Like with Skyward, I made a very, very conscious decision. This is gonna be 15 issues come hell or high water. Mm -hmm. um, and so with Shadecraft, it's like, well, partially because when we were uh, starting to work on this, it, you know, it was um, the, the pandemic was just starting up. And I was like, I don't know where retailers are gonna be. I don't know what's gonna be going on. So let's just plan on a five issue arc with uh, a beginning, middle, end, but very much a momentum into a second book or which could be similar to if you read the first 15 issues of Skyward, you're like, ah, that was a great read. I would love to go on another journey with this character, but I'm also satisfied with this. That's what the first five issues of Shadecraft will be. But boy, would we love the sales to keep going. Yeah, hey, sounds, sounds good to me. Um, the other thing about your work, and I want to touch on, and this is why when you first told me about Shadecraft, I'm like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And then have get it, you know, you letting me read the first issue pretty early, uh, you know, you knocked it out of the park. Thanks. Something about your 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 work working with darker themes for positive results, and obviously I I'm referring to Lucifer, um, <laughs> and, and especially to those people that that called it out in the beginning. Oh, you're telling the story about the devil, and man, did you even ever watch the show? That's not what it's about. Right. It's Thank about you. maybe taking some of these scary ideas, um, you know, the devil or Satan or whatever. In the case of Shadecraft, shadows and the unknown, but but using them to tell a story that ultimately is about belonging and love and family and uh, inclusivity, um, all the things that we need more of in, in the world. So um, obviously it's something you care deeply about uh, because it's been in everything that I've, I've, I've seen you do. So talk to us a little bit, a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, I'm going to get cheesy and just do another metaphor, but the darkness makes the light shine brighter. Um, the darker you go, potentially, the, the brighter you can shine and the lighter you can go. What I love about Lucifer is our darkest episodes are often our funniest. Um, the darker the concept. And like Skyward, like, it, like a good portion of the world died. Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't shy away from that. And it's funny, as much as I, I'm always saying, it's a fun book, it's a fun book. But as, as you've correctly pointed out as well, it is a fun book, but there are real stakes. There's real tragedy. There's real loss. And that is to me, the push pull of making sure you have fun, but also making sure it feels like earned fun. And so when you play with something darker, something more tangible, like shadows also, it allows you an opportunity to, um, to uh, illustrate even more Zadie's resilience, her, her inner strength, her bravery uh, in the same way, playing with something like Lucifer, where you've got the devil, what better arc of redemption than the most vilified figure in the world and showing uh, in, in the world and 
in cultural whatever um, and showing that arc. So much of what we do on Lucifer is our sort of our thematic is if the devil can be redeemed, so can you. Um, and that is something that we sort of have taken as our ethos, which is, hey, uh, everyone's misunderstood. Everyone makes mistakes. Um, as, long, as long as there is not a malintent behind it, or if there is a malintent, if you grow and learn from it, then redemption is possible and redemption is worthy. Um, so that's just the stew I'm playing with on that, on Shadecraft, on, on Skyward. Well, I, I can't wait to read more Shadecraft. Uh, you know, I, in, in Joe and, and your fellow creatives, I trust after the, the incredible uh, ride you took us on, on Skyward. So thank yeah, you. I look forward to, to more of this. Uh, best of luck with, with the series. Hope it goes far beyond five issues. And just a reminder, all, all you listeners, Final Order Cutoff is, uh, is one week from when this, uh, this uh, recording will drop. So uh, Monday, March 8th, let your retailer know. And then uh, the first issue comes out on the 31st of March. Uh, and this spotlight will come out a, a few days later. And uh, hopefully you've had a chance to read it already. And don't forget, as Joe mentioned, uh, the, the uh, beautiful hardcover of Skyward uh, has come out in March as well with, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting it. I gotta, I gotta have that new, you know, epilogue six page story. Uh, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah, and having a nice hardcover to go on your shelf, you know, that's, that's so great. It's one of the best things, you know, and, <sighs> and if this pandemic ever ends and you have people come back into your house, they look at, you know, they see something on your bookshelf and that's how you can spread the love of, of story. Oh, so. I cannot wait to have that hardcover. Like I've seen the early stuff and it's just, it is beautiful uh yeah i want it on my shelf so bad <laughs> awesome awesome uh well uh as i said can't wait to read uh shadecraft joe and you know we're gonna have you back on when uh, Please. when it's all said and done uh to promote the the trade and we can dig into uh everything that's happened in the first five issues that would be awesome thank you man uh so why don't you remind everybody where they can find you online uh interact to have questions about uh skyward or shadecraft or, or any of that stuff where's the best place I'm on Twitter at Henderson uh, underline Joe. Um, that's the best place to find me. Uh, I love if, if you ask me questions about Shadecraft, you're going to get an answer. Like I love talking about it. I love anyone engaging. I will be annoying uh, in the uh, over interacting way. So find me there. Uh, anything you want to know, I'll chat. I'm awesome. In. Awesome. And I'll put a link to Joe's Twitter in the show notes, everybody. So you can go and, uh, and follow him there if you're having trouble finding them. So uh, again, Joe, hey man, great to catch up. Always good to see you. You too. Thank you. uh, And to you listeners, uh, we want to thank you for listening as always. Be sure you go and let your retailer know if you're listening to this uh, on uh, March 1st that you want Shadecraft, order yourself a copy. Uh, And if you're listening to it on uh, Friday, if you didn't pick it up, I'm sure your store still has a copy. Make sure you go and get one. So uh, thanks for listening as always, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes, as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.